following is a message from Praise and Worship, a community of people in Branson, Missouri who are loved by Jesus and joining Him in His mission to bring love and hope to all people. For more information and for more audio and video content, visit www.branson.church. How many of you guys sit around and go, you know what I hope Mark would preach a sermon about? Is the end times, you know, and and most, you know, I find that there's two categories, right? There's like the 97 percent that like never, please don't do that. That's just a waste of time. Or, or there's that three percent like I want to learn all the details. I want to, you know, and you're like that guy from the memes we were talking about Bible study who's got all the yarn drawn on the chart and they're figuring out all this little clue and that clue and everything. And a lot of us just get kind of weary of all of that because we're like. You know, and we were telling the joke today, you know, there's people when they study the end times, they'll say, well, I'm a pre-millennialist or I'm a post-millennialist or I'm an amillennialist. And the joke is, well, I'm a pan-millennialist. I'm just going to wait and see how it all pans out in the end, right? And it's, it just kind of, it becomes this weird thing. And, and I have a very simple objective to share with you today. And it's not, you know, they always say as a preacher, you should never tell what your goal is, but I'm just tell it because our goal is very simple. I want you to view the end times the way that Jesus has invited us to do that, to not be alarmed, and instead to see the good news there. Because it's not anything, you know, sometimes, some of us grew up in church traditions where the tradition is the end times is a scary thing. And it's like you better get your stuff together or you're going to get left behind. You know, that kind of, well, if I'll just allow me the word, it's just kind of bunk. You know, it's nonsense. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that Christ died for us when we were yet sinners. We just read it from Romans chapter 5. He died for us while we were yet his enemy. And, and so if that's true, then what's this business about the end times about? And we saw in these scriptures, Matthew 24, Romans 5, we saw this, there's this process of what we go through and how we participate in his mission. And the mission is the gospel of the kingdom. You know, gospel is one of those words where you're like, what does that word mean? It gets used a lot. And a lot of people will say, they'll use the word like this. You know, when I say, when I'm talking about this, you know, maybe I'm in a, maybe I'm a, you know, you, I spent 20 years in the IT world and I was in a professional position. I was the director of operations of a training center for a while. And one of the things that we would talk about is when we say this, this is gospel, right? And so that's one way we use the word. It like means like written in stone, you know, this is it. Nobody can change it. That's, that's not what we're talking about here. We're not talking about something that's like just, it's true. I mean, it is true. But what I want you to read the word gospel is what it, what it originally meant is euangelion, the Greek word which means good news. And specifically, the good news of the king, the good news of the kingdom. And this is so important because when we talk about Christmas, we talk about Advent, we talk about all these things, that's what it is. You know, it's the old Christmas song, peace on earth, good will toward men. It's talking about the gospel. Everything has changed. My, one of my favorite musicians, Rich Mullins, he wrote in one of his songs, you know, that, it's, it's, that Christmas was when the old world started dying and the new world started coming on. And that is exactly what the scriptures teach. It's this idea that everything began to change. Everything began to change. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Take a look at Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. We should highlight a couple of these things because I want to zoom in on these texts because Jesus says, watch out that no one deceives you. And what's interesting is, is if we were sitting around a table at seminary and some of the professors were asking us, why do you want to be a pastor? And they were going around and one of them said, I'm in it for the money. And I thought, you know, he was joking. But it was like, you know, if you really were in it for the money, then you should go out and become a teacher of the end times and write lots of books and everything because people just get obsessed with this. And the problem is, is a lot of it becomes deception. It becomes focused on the wrong things. It's taking you away from Jesus. 
right? He is what we should be focused on. And he says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you're thinking, you know, we haven't had anybody for a while who's popped up and said, hey, I'm Jesus. But there's actually a guy in Florida right now who's running a ministry that has over 1,000 people in attendance this very morning who he says, I am Jesus Christ. That's what he says. You know, and it's like, I mean... Maybe we should read the Bible sometimes. And so, you know, Jesus warned us of this 2,000 years ago, and, and we always need to be mindful. So we're watching out, and we, we've been saying this over and over again, but the way we see counterfeits, the way we can spot them, is by studying the original. Take a look at verses 6 and 8. Because he says, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, and, you know, we can look at different generations and what we've experienced um, with wars and rumors of wars. But he says, see to it that you're not alarmed. Don't immediately go to that whole thinking, oh, the world's about to end. Here we go. You know, and it can feel that way when, when the war is unfolding. And if you're in the war, you know, the veterans could tell the stories. When you're there and you're under fire, yeah, you're like, come Lord Jesus, right? You're, that's where it is. And so, and so there's the thing. But he says, in the great scheme of things, do not be alarmed. In other words, don't look out over the landscape. Don't use the newspaper, which is a kind of a fading analogy because it's not, they're not around much anymore, but don't use the newspaper to do your theology, right? Use God's word. Allow him to speak, right? And he says, don't be alarmed. All of these are the beginning of the birth pains. And so he gives us an analogy of the way we should expect it. Now, the moms here in the room, they can tell you about birth pains. And I always love to remember the time that, you know, when, 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 our, first, when our firstborn was on the way, Mariah, um, I was very naive, and I went with Debbie to Lama's classes. I don't know if you've ever seen those. And they're, they're, they, they're, they're, it's just like a, it's like a giant trap. Men, if you, you know, young husbands, don't do this. Don't do it. Because, because you go to the Lama's classes, and they teach the man what he should say and how he should say it. And then when the time came, and Debbie's in labor, and she had a very brutal labor with Mariah, you know, and, and I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm telling her to breathe and do all the things they taught me to do. And she looked and her eyes turned red and she kind of had that voice of the devil. And she said, shut up, you know. And, and it's like, come Lord Jesus, right? You know, you're just like, see, these are the beginnings of the birth pains. And so you need to understand that as, as labor happens, you know, there's these waves that come, these contractions. And those are not the worst. Yet not, and the worst part was when... <laughs> I mean, because I, I'm a slow learner. Many of you have learned this about me. I'm a slow learner. She said shut up, and I did for a while. But then they had this little screen that showed the contraction. It was like a little chart, right? And it was on its way down. And I said, oh, honey, the contraction's almost over. And, and she nearly just reached over and killed me right there. She says, I'll be the judge of when the contraction is over. And so this is how this works. And so if you take Lamaze classes and try that, then you should be alarmed. But in the end, study of the end times, wouldn't you be alarmed? We're being filled with hope. So take a look at Matthew 24, 14. This is our scripture. And, and he says, this gospel, this good news of the kingdom. I want to pause right there because when I was growing up, I found it interesting that the churches that I attended, they didn't talk a lot about the kingdom of God. Now we would read it, we would read it, we'd do a scripture reading, and Jesus would be talking about it all the time. The apostles would be talking about it all the time. And then the pastor would never mention it. And I was like, What? See, and the kingdom of God is something that's very interesting, guys, because we, you know, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. Inaugurated means that he, he, he declared its beginning and he began it. He actually got it rolling, right? And that is the moment that everything began to change. We said that a few minutes ago. So along the way, what is the kingdom of God? It's this, it's this thing. Well, let's say it like this. 
wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And so when we make these audacious claims that Jesus now lives in you, you know, Colossians chapter 1, for example, the mystery is Christ in us, right? Or as Paul would say in Romans chapter 8, by the power of the Holy Spirit, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the same thing, just the other way around. It's this idea of us being in Jesus, Jesus being in us. When we hear that language, we should immediately be thinking, well, then that's where the kingdom is. Because if the king is inside of me, then I'm involved with the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is one of these things that just, it just spreads out all over the earth. A lot of people think that when you come to church, you come here to be made righteous. Or you come here to learn how to try to become righteous or whatever. But in reality, when, when, when the Lord comes to you, he declares you righteous. We're going to see that in a moment. But the thing I want you to know is that the kingdom of God, when we gather and then we scatter. This is our rhythm of life. We gather and we scatter. We have tension and we have relief. We have all these different things that are these, these realities that we live in. And the reality that we live in is that we are part of the kingdom of God. You and me. And I don't know that we often think of that. You're, you know, if you're like me, I look at myself, I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's kingdom material, right? You know, I don't know how they, And yet this is what he's saying. And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. It will be proclaimed. And pro proclamation is something really interesting. A lot of people think preaching is when a preacher would say, be a good person. A lot of preachers say that. And every once in a while, you might even hear it come out of my, my mouth, right? Hey, let's be better than that or whatever. But that's not, what, that's not what this is talking about. Proclamation is when it does something to you not calls you or tells you to do something. It's when it does something to you. And what this does is imagine, just take note of the difference. If I say to you, be a good person, you're like, okay, I'll try. Well, you know, there's no power there. But if I say to you that Jesus has declared you perfect, that God the Father, when he looks at you, he sees perfection because of what Jesus has done for you. You see how that's a very different, entirely different thing. And it starts to do different things to you. Instead of convicting you, instead of telling you, just reminding you of what a poor, miserable sinner you are, it instead starts to say something different about you from the, from the king. The king says to you, you're my kids. I love you. I love you. I love you. Let's see how this unfolds. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. This is the gospel. Therefore, Paul says, after having written the first, chapter, first four chapters of Romans where there's this unleashing of this idea of a righteousness that is not of ourselves, but a righteousness that is of God. What does righteousness mean? Right? Because right off the bat, he starts talking about how the impact of righteousness has, has, has played out. And he says that right, he, basically righteousness is this idea of being declared the way you ought to be. It's the way you ought to have always been. And he says, since we have been justified, which is again an old you know, NIV 1984. Here we go. It's this 1984 word. Justified, the way we typically use it now is when we try to justify ourselves or justify others, right? Um, and, and so when, you, when something happens and you try to Lord, get them off the hook, see, that's what this is. We have been declared righteous. We have been pronounced holy by God, by his declaration. How did this happen? Through faith, which is believing the promises of God on his terms. Because, guys, 
most of us struggle to actually believe the gospel. And I don't mean to say that in any kind of condescending way. What I'm just saying is we do because we're like, God can't be that good. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. We, that's too good to be true. There's no such thing as a free lunch, right? This is built into our culture. And so what he's saying is, no, we have been justified through faith. We've been declared righteous, made perfect in God's eyes through faith. We have it, and there's that word, peace. This idea that the shalom, this herene, as they say in Greek. Um, I always remember the Greek word because one of my professors, Dr. Jeff Gibbs, he was teaching us uh, his Matthew class, and his, and his wife, uh, Renee, came in one day, and she said, I'm going to teach you how to always remember the word for peace in Greek. And we were like, okay, how are you doing? And she says, just say, hey, Renee, every time you see me, and then you've learned the Greek word for peace. And so every time you, if you have anybody you know Renee, just say, hey, Renee, that's peace, right? That's what it is. And we love that little, that was just fun because it just made us smile. And if you met Renee Gibbs, some of you may have, she's a joyful and wonderful person. And so this is, she actually brings peace. You know, it's one of those people. And so we have peace with God. And peace is this idea, hey, Renee, it's this shalom, it's this completion. It's things that, like there was a hole in the wall, just like they said in the Bible Project video, and it's something that restores the wall the way it should have been. And this is what this, is what this message says. Because of Jesus, not because of your righteousness, but because of His, we have peace with God the Father. Peace. It's this idea of restoration. You and I, when we, how do we stand with God? This is how we stand. How do you stand before God? This is how you stand. Where do you stand with God? This is where. Please hear that. It's a proclamation. It's the preaching of the good news right here, right now. By the power of the Holy Spirit through this mystery that we call the church that Christ himself created when he said, on this rock, man, on this rock I'm building, right? And nothing will prevail against it, not even the gates of hell. That is the power of the gospel. And it is the power of salvation for all who believe it. See, the words go out, they hit your ears, and what happens? And that's the part that nobody can control, right? God's not going to come in there and turn you into a robot. He's just going to say, I love you. And he's going to keep saying it. And he's going to keep saying it. We have peace with God. How do we have it? How do we know that this is real? It's because of Jesus. It's through our Lord, Jesus Christ. And that word Lord there is, you know, a Lord is, I find that different people define that different ways. When Paul is using it here and throughout his letters, he is re he's referring to the God of the Old Testament, who is called Lord in our English Bibles, but his divine name is Yahweh, right? That's exactly who this is. We have peace with God the Father through our Lord, the Messiah, Yeshua, right? Yeshua means our Lord saves. That's what his name is. And this is exactly how it worked. Take a look at verse 2. And this is, this is so interesting because how part of me is then like, okay, Mark, that's great, but how does it work? Well, here we go. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So we were at an event yesterday and we were, we were, it was at Cherry Street Baptist Church. My daughter, Allie, was performing, and so were several others of our, of our folks here, performing in this Play Him and Sing His Praise, the symphony, which is just awesome, by the way. A great example of God's people just getting together and doing peace together, right? What does it sound like? Well, it's, it's harmony, right? That's what it is. And so what was interesting is I got there a little early, and, and I just sort of went in the back door, and I was not supposed to be in there. 
right? And so I had gained access into something that I wasn't supposed to be in. And so one of the ladies came up to me. She said, what are you doing here? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. Because <laughs> they like to keep the crowd out so they don't take all the seats and they want to have it good for the kids and let them practice and everything. And see, so it's kind of interesting because sometimes I think that we tend to feel like we don't belong in God's presence. And it's because of our behavior. And we always fall into this trap. We reduce our relationship to God to a behavior modification principle. Well, I need to be a little better before I can go to church. I need, no, it's the opposite. The worst people in the world should be here. And it turns out I'm, I'm up front, so that way you know that I'm leading the, leading the charge on that. The worst people in the world should be here because those are the people that Jesus died for. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? He, it's because of his love, not because of our behavior. It's because of who you are. You're his children. Hear those words. And we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. At the end of Romans chapter 8, which is three chapters ahead of this, there's this, powerful, there's this powerful conclusion to this whole argument that Paul's been making by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he gives a long list of various things that you might think would separate us. None of them. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to hear that and write it on your heart. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the grace that we now stand in. So, you know, People will ask me, well, do you think people can lose their salvation? Well, I think people can take anything and throw it off a cliff. I have no doubt about that. The scriptures say that different people shipwreck their faith and all these things. That, that's not the point. Because what they're really asking when people ask that question is, can I lose my faith kind of like I lose my car keys? Can I like accidentally lose it? No. You can't. The love of God is inexhaustible. It is infinite. And it is all powerful. You know, people will say, well, if God is all good and he's all powerful, then why does evil still exist? Because you and I still exist. And we've got it in us. And he is waiting. Remember what Jesus said. When will the end come? when the gospel of the kingdom has gone out to the whole world. That's when the end will come because God is all-powerful and he is all-good and, and yet evil exists and he doesn't want to destroy the evil because he'd have to wipe out all of us and anyone who doesn't know him. So he sent Jesus, who then did this cra even crazier. So the gospel is one thing, but then why does he invite you and me to participate? Well, here's the thing we need to take away from this, guys. Because if we stand in the grace of God, if we stand, and we do, that's not an if, we do. Hear me say it, you stand in the grace of God. Then what do we do with that? A lot of people say, okay, let's go start a seminary, build a school, start a daycare, let's do all these things, let's start changing the world. And those are all great things. Those are all great things. But before we do those things, one of the things that we could do is we could love our neighbor. Right? We, could, we could actually take the gifts that we've been given and begin to share them. And this is what you and I do, right? This is what we do. But I want to, I want to, I'm going to tell a story on Aaron. We, he and I talked last night because he went to work last night. And he goes, he goes Dad, I just got to tell you, I went to work last night, and, and it was one of those nights when he works over at uh, one of the restaurants here in town. It started off real quiet, and then, like, tour buses started showing up. And you're like, whoa. You know, in Branson, this thing happens. The tour buses show up. This happens. And so, and so they were starting to work, and, and he goes, I just kind of went back in the kitchen, and I said a quick prayer. It's like, Lord, whew, here we go. And he goes, this strange thing happened. He goes, all of a sudden, the team started working together, and we were efficient, and we like fed 400 people in two hours. And it was just like clockwork. 
And I said, imagine if everyone at their jobs in the world, when they faced a challenge, prayed, right? Involved God Almighty in this because that is the gospel of the kingdom. If, if, if the king is wherever, the, if the kingdom rather is wherever the king is and Jesus dwells inside of you and me, what happens when we advance that kingdom in something that's so seemingly mundane as working in a restaurant, digging a ditch, building a building, teaching a class, whatever it might be, working in finance, uh, teaching, showing people, you know, how to tie flies on, on their fishing pole. I mean, what, all those things are, you know, Mark, those things aren't important. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Yeah, we are. Because God cares about every single person and whatever they're doing and wherever they're doing it. And, and it, what's so beautiful is, is to imagine the mundaneness of simply delivering food in a restaurant being made glorious because of Jesus' indwelling in his people. And in every other scenario, we could list what you guys are all doing. You're going over to, to hang out at a Christmas celebration and you go over there like you're on your way in. And you're like, hey Lord, help, help this be a really special night. I mean, just watch what he will do. Hear his promise and carry forth the mission wherever you go by simply calling out to Jesus and, in, and asking him to help you participate in his mission. Let's pray that he would help us do that right now. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you give us. We thank you most importantly for this season of hope that you have promised to us. You said that hope does not disappoint because you have poured out your love into our hearts. Help us trust that that is true. Help us believe that you have indeed declared us perfect in your eyes through Jesus. And then help that then impact the way we see Christmas, the way we see the season leading up to Christmas, the way we see our families, the way we see our friends, our workplaces, the way we see those who, who have, broke, we have broken relationships with as well. Help us pray in the midst of that and see that the kingdom of God is something that's everywhere all the time and it's constantly doing things and advancing and pushing back the darkness. Help us join in that and put our trust in you no matter what happens. Lord, I pray boldly that you would empower us, equip us with the ability by your Holy Spirit to think this way, to start to see that mundane things are where you are working sometimes maybe as much as any place, maybe if not more so. And when we can see with your eyes and hear with your ears that we would be empowered to love with your heart, to participate with you so that the end times is not an escape plan but a fulfillment plan, a, 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 a consummation of what has already been started on this green earth. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.